If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Kath. Kath now lives in Victoria with her gorgeous three-year-old daughter, Lily. Kath suffered preeclampsia and had to have Lily quite early. So in this conversation, we talk about preterm labor, what it's like having a prem baby and the physical and mental challenges that come with that. So welcome to the podcast, Kath. I would love to start with understanding what you went through to make the decision to become a solo mum by choice. Okay, sure. So I kind of feel like my journey is a little bit different um, to a lot of the other solo mums that I have spoken to in that it kind of happened really quickly. Um, I was 42 at the time and prior to that, I'd kind of been through a bit of a crisis around, you know, am I going to meet someone? Am I going to have a child or am I not going to have a child? And I was always on the fence about it. So I never actually considered being a solo mum at all. And a friend of mine, actually, we were we went away um, for a weekend in um, at the beginning of um, the year that I became pregnant. And on a weekend away, she just said to me, oh, why don't you try and do it by yourself? And I'd always thought, no, I don't want to be a single mom. That's not what I want to do. And she actually suggested, oh, why don't you ask one of your friends, like whether they would like to be a donor? And so I thought... Oh, yeah. Okay, sure. And then I kind of got on board with that idea because I tend to be the type of person who is just like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. I'll give that a go. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, I did end up asking one of my friends um, and he thought about it and then said no. Um, And I'm really grateful for that because it wouldn't have been a good idea. at the time. So I'm glad I didn't really go with that. Um, and then I thought, okay, after that, my friend actually said to me, why don't you just go to like the fertility clinic and just find out what's involved, you know, just check it out and see maybe you can freeze your eggs or something, you know, just to give you some options maybe. So, and so this friend, so I, did she have kids herself? 
No. So she oh. thought about having a child um, by herself as well, but she was on the fence about it and had actually been through a journey of wondering whether, you know, whether she wanted to meet someone or actually, you know, have a child um, by herself as well. So she'd been going through that journey and um, I hadn't actually really seriously thought about that as an option in terms of IVF at all. And then I just went along, um, it was in March that year um, of 2018, and I just went along um, to see a fertility, oh, just to see a GP to ask. And then the GP said, oh, he's a fertility specialist. And then I went for the appointment with the fertility specialist. And she basically said to me, if you're going to do something, you need to do it now, because I was at that stage 40, I was actually 43. I said 42, but I think I was 43. Um, and she said each month, you know, is, you know, ticking away and this is what I suggest. And so did you realise that going into the appointment or did you think, oh, I've got plenty of time? I guess I just was like, I don't even really know if I want to do this. I'm just, why don't I just, I, you know, I think I actually had in my head that I was going to go along to this appointment and that she was going to say to me that you can't do it or, you can do it and um, I had in my head, okay, I'll just give it one go and it's not likely to work and then I can move along with my life and um, and accept that I've done everything that I can and just let, I have this more agenda of letting this go because I was sick of kind of this sense of am I going to have a baby, am I not going to have a baby in my life, you know, am I going to meet someone or not meet someone. And then you don't have to look back and go, you know, what if. Yeah, that's right. That's it. So I kind of was just thinking that. And then when she started talking about it and I started kind of get to get on board and I thought, okay, yeah, I'll give this a go. Um, and again, kind of thinking, oh, it's probably not going to work, but hey, I'm doing this now. Um, and so I jumped in and did it. And then I thought, I'm just going to throw everything I've got at it for one round. So um, I, you know, did... Um, the egg collection, obviously, and they fed, I chose a donor. I didn't even put a much effort into choosing a donor. I just kind of, I think I only had a choice of about, of about 15 because at the time, I'm in Victoria now, but I was um, living in Brisbane and I had um, Lily in Brisbane. Um, so they gave me a list of donors and it was quite a limited list because of, I think it was, something to do with my exposure to cytomegalovirus or something I hadn't been exposed to it there was a test I'd done and so I had to be matched with a donor that hadn't been exposed to it um so my options were limited and I was given the choice of Australian donors which were quite um limited in terms of you know the information and nothing really stuck out to me and I kind of felt like I didn't even know this is like picking someone like if you're going on an internet date or something you don't know really know about that person unless you actually meet them or have more information and um so I had a list of U.S. donors as well I'm pretty sure it was only 15 I went through them and I was like oh that guy seems like he could be okay um but they were all um very um Caucasian and for me mm-hmm. I was really interested in finding a donor that had more olive skin or that had some other kind of cultural influence that um, would reduce the chance of Lily 
um, or my child getting eczema or um, sunburnt really easily. This was my focus. I was like, oh, I've got such pale skin. I just want to, you know, in a sense, give her a good chance of not having to deal with that because it's been really frustrating. So the dermatitis and eczema and, yeah. yeah. And so I went through them all and they were all of, um, very, you know, Caucasian background. And then the very last one I got to, um, it had um, his father, it was a US one, and his father was German um, and his mother was El Salvadorian. Mm. And his profile was brown eyes, olive skin, brown hair. Um, and I thought, oh, that's a bit cool, a bit South American. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's as bad as much thought as I put into it. I just said, oh, I'll have that one still thinking it's probably not going to work you know um and and then I went through the whole process of you know the counseling that I had to have and about you know the consequences of everything what will you do if you've got embryos left over etc and and at the time I just remember thinking I just don't see any of it as a really big deal um and so (laughs) yeah that's it I didn't Mm. I didn't think it probably would and I and you know it was so such a man out of and then I started to get on board and think this is all a bit exciting and fun and different and new. And um, so I was like, oh, yeah, I'll give this a go. And maybe if it doesn't work this time, maybe I'll just give it one more go. And I had to borrow the money to do it. And um, Anyway, I was going to get a frozen, I was trying to get frozen embryos out of that first um, lot that I did. And then get them text, tested, genetic tested because mm-hmm. of my age and everything. So I really wanted to kind of do that um, process. And in the end, I got 13 um, eggs and then there was two that made it through. Um, and then one that they were both as fresh ones. And they said one looks slightly better than the other, but we don't know if it's going to be good enough to freeze. So what choice do you want to make around um, you know, we would probably suggest a fresh transfer, but we can't test it to see if it's okay, but you might not end up with any. Yeah. So I, I ended up um, saying, okay, fresh. And so then all of a sudden I was getting this um, embryo. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah. Transferred. And so I just remember going on that day and I was rushed and I was running late and I just, I just feel like I just didn't really, think anything through in a lot of ways and um I got there and I just remember having this feeling after I had it transferred I went into the bathroom and I had this little cry and I was just like oh my gosh I think I get this feeling this is going to end up as a with a baby um oh wow okay so then I kind of left and I was like wow this is really weird I've got this embryo inside and you know as probably a lot of people can relate to like that two-week wait was felt like such a long time yeah and then I and so then I found out I was pregnant so it was oh wow first go and um I just went oh my gosh um I just you know can't believe that um this is happening and I was really excited at first um and thought wow this is great and I thought but it's I'm probably going to miscarry so you know it's I can't there's no real guarantee and you know I was going to get the um 10 week test um that that is able to tell us um you know some of the genetic abnormalities and so I was doing that three month thing and then it got to the 10 week test and then I found out I was having a girl and then I just knew oh I've always known I was going to have a little girl and her name is going to be Lily you know it was just sort of this really simple thing and so I'd already you know just sort of picked the name um 
And so I was just, I just ended up in this spot. It's sort of just like, wow, I'm pregnant. This is so bizarre. This is not how I intended my life to turn out. And I didn't think this was going to happen. I didn't think this through. And um, yeah, it was so bizarre to me because I'd always had these, I was in relationships and I'd been married before and um, I actually got met somebody over in a Nepali guy over in India and spent a year in India and we ended up getting married and he came out to Australia and you know I had all this had happened in my 30s um which is a whole nother podcast in and of itself that whole experience and then that didn't work out and I'd always taken relationships for for granted up until it was um uh gosh it would have been you know when I was in my early to mid 30s and then I guess like I just had that kind of crisis after that point and shock um from sort of early 30s right through till I was so that 10 years I just was like this is weird I'm not meeting anybody and I'm so surprised like I just took this relationship thing for granted but I don't know if I want to have kids or don't I I kind of just assumed when I was married that was what I would do I just always assumed that was what I would do but I was never really like I hear a lot of the women on this podcast say I really have always known I've wanted to have a child and that wasn't me. Um, So when I got to um, three months pregnant, I actually just had this um, huge crisis in the sense of like, oh, my God, I'm having a baby. You always do this, Kath. You just jump into things without thinking. You just go, yep, I'll have a go at that. I'll have a go at that. Great, I'll have a go at that. Yep, I'll have a go at having a baby. That sounds great. And I'm like, you can't undo this. <laughs> this is like, this is like the most the for all of your, your spontaneity and everything. Yeah, this is like the rest of your life. And at the time I didn't realise, but I was going into a phase of um, perinatal anxiety and depression, which I ended up being diagnosed with. Um which was also impacting on, you know, my perception because I just remember in those, during a lot of my pregnancy, I was just so anxious about making the wrong decision um, and how I was going to do this. And But then I was also really excited as well and also just so naive to what it was actually going to be like when it happened. Yeah. So I was in that kind of like, oh, I'm having a baby. This is cool. Here I am, independent woman. This is going to be awesome. I was really proud, you know, of um, having a donor-conceived child and doing this on my own. And, um, yeah, so I got to the point where um, I started to have complications in my pregnancy and my um, everything was going well up until about 16 weeks and then at the 21, I think it was 21 weeks. 19 week whenever it was scan um they realized that lily was not growing as big she was on quite on the small side and they picked that up um and then she um continued to not grow so well and things kind of deteriorated around sort of 33 weeks so it was pretty good um up until then but i started to get really swollen and um, i thought it was just the heat in brisbane you know um and I'd remained active and done yoga and all of that. But they, around 33 weeks, they said, oh, we're quite concerned about this. Um, this baby is really quite small. There's something not really going on. So um, great with your placenta. Um, doesn't seem to be providing the nutrition. 
And so I thought, okay. And then um, they I, they started to, they did an ultrasound. It was actually my last day of work, so I was starting to feel really exhausted. And um, I was having a party, like a goodbye party, um, baby shower, and I'd just gone for the scan and was meant to be coming back. And they said to me, they sent me off to get um, my blood pressure and the and baby looked at and they said, you need to stay here and um, be admitted into hospital. You've got um, preeclampsia. And so I went, but I've got to go get my stuff from work and I'm meant to be having a party. And they said, all right, well, you go have your party and you come straight back. <laughs> Yay, you still have the party. <laughs> so I went to go and go to, got to go back to work and have the baby shower and then, you know, swing past home and um, grab all my things. And um, it was actually on right before Christmas. So I think that was Christmas Eve, even, um, or the 23rd, 24th. I know that, um, yeah, my first full day in hospital was Christmas Day. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas Day. Um, and I was only at that stage, like, just 33 weeks. So I still had quite a bit of a way to go. And, um, yeah, so that was quite scary because um, I just had medical teams coming in all the time and you know the um blood um you know blood pressure readings constantly and just having to have that monitor on Lily the whole time and I would just have teams of people coming through it was at the Royal Brisbane Hospital um and I have two lots of teams like the obstetric medicine team that were there looking after my health and then the um the um uh, obstetric sorry I couldn't think of the word obstetric team that were coming to um, look after Lily's health and it was just this kind of tension between what was best for the baby so the baby needed to stay in was more ideal mm. but then um, you know the the other team was saying oh we're struggling to manage this blood pressure and um, so anyway I stayed in there like that for a couple of weeks and they said we just want to try and get you to 35 weeks um, and in the end they actually sent me home I think for a night or two and I had a plaid cesarean at 35 weeks but in the meantime, I at one point my blood pressure was like two hundred on one hundred and ten or something, and they, I was like, you know, carted off down to the emergency thing, and they're like, you're going to have to try and relax. We've got to get your blood pressure down. I'm like, am I having my baby right now? Because they kept me to emergency. Me, How am I going to relax? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're operating, you know, ready to operate, and everyone's like all gloved up and stuff, and they're like, well, if we can't get it down, we're going to need to act quickly, and you know, that was quite scary. And I was on my own at that stage um, because my family are all in Victoria and um, I was living on my own. And I thought, gosh, this is one of the first times in my life I'm starting to experience, like, not being able to just manage stuff by myself. And um, it was, yeah, it was quite because I had cats at home that needed feeding and all of this stuff. And a lot of my friends were kind of spread out at that point. Anyway, Lily was born by planned cesarean. Um, at 35 weeks and the sickness I don't know is it you who's had preeclampsia or someone um some other people yeah you've spoken to I just was walking around with an ice pack on the back of my neck constantly like I just didn't know if I wanted to vomit pass out um just I, I just go to the toilet stand up wait I just didn't know what I needed I felt so uncomfortable um and I just felt so sick, so off in a way that I've never kind of experienced before. So it was really awful. Um, 
anyway, Lily was born and there was meconium when they um, removed her. And, you know, they said, oh, she's been quite stressed. We, they said, oh, we'd left it. And I still remember this. And I think, why did you say this to me? The woman said, uh, the obstetrician said, oh, good, we've taken her out now another week and she wouldn't be with us. Hmm. And I thought, oh, okay, what? <laughs> so, yeah, so she was tiny. She was born 1.5 kilos or I think it's like three and a half pounds. So she was teensy, 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 tiny. And um, she came out crying and very active and everything, but she spent five weeks um, in um, uh, in the nursery, special care nursery, um, So which was a really long time. And so, yeah, we were separated um, during that time because I wasn't. Did you have to, like, go home and then come back? Yeah, so I had to go home and come back. So the first week I was there when I was recovering from the cesarean. Um, and also the, like the preeclampsia, it pretty much goes away straight away once the baby's gone. But I had to also recover from um, the cesarean and I was still really quite sick, I remember, and I was in quite a bit of pain. Um, and because my body had just been under a lot of stress, I think. Um so I was there for a week and then I could kind of go down and see her and then go back to my bed. I just remember feeling so incredibly exhausted and so incredibly guilty that I I didn't have the energy to spend every single minute with my baby because um, I had this kind of natural birth idea and plan. And, <laughs> you know, I was going to have a water birth and a massage and an oil burner and it just all of a sudden just went absolutely belly up and, um, you know, became a, we're going to keep you alive and your daughter alive. Um, medical intervention all the way, you know, lots of medications and I was getting needles and, um, you know, steroids and um, blood pressure tablets and um, oh, I can't remember what else, antibiotics, whatever, you name it, I had it, pain relief and, yeah, I felt so ill. and. Um, so I also had no idea that at that point that um, I wasn't going to be able to breastfeed and I was really, really passionate about breastfeeding. And I just assumed I had all these assumptions that everything was going to be fine um, in terms of breastfeeding. And essentially looking back now, I think there was no way I was ever going to be able to because of the amount of stress that my body was under mm. and the fact that she was born so prematurely and um, that we weren't able to be with each other all the time. And essentially it felt like somebody else owned my baby at that point in time because she was so fragile and they were so concerned about infection and everything that I would go down into the special care nursery and the nurses were kind of like, well, I'd say, can I get her out or can I touch her? Oh, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Or, um, yeah, just be careful doing that. Or um, You couldn't even really hold uh, anything. So I could, so they did a thing, I don't know if you've heard of kangaroo care, where you put her, um, you put them on your chest um, and it's supposed to help with bonding and everything. But she, when she was first born, she was so, um, they said that they get really fatigued really easily. And so um, it's really important not to kind of overdo it with them so I was like oh I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing and every nurse would have a different opinion mm -hmm. um 
I had a terrible experience with the breast um, feeding lactation consultant um, and just trying to express and all of that. And then I would turn up, um, you know, in the morning and they would say, you've got to express every however many hours. And I was so exhausted. I just physically couldn't do it. And the amount of guilt was just like, I, it's, you know, I really need to be at this particular standard in terms of being a mom and I'm not meeting that standard. And it was the first time I think in my life that um, I've been met with not actually being able to achieve, like push through and achieve something. Yeah. It was like, I was just, you know, so, um, yeah, so, so exhausted and overwhelmed. And anyway, so I would go and spend about eight hours a day with her. Luckily I lived nearby. Um, sadly, I felt, you know, so guilty that I wasn't there more um, and would just, because I wasn't there overnight and I'd be laying in bed going, what's happening with her? Is anyone looking after her? Is she crying? Like, is somebody holding her, you know? And it was incredibly upsetting just being separate from her and then just trying to, like, essentially flog this milk out of my breast, you know, like, come on, pump, you know? It's just yeah. like, oh, I'd look back and just think, oh, it was a horrible um yeah and I think eventually you know she came home um once she weighed I think two and a half kilos she needed to put on um some extra weight and, and when kilos, she tiny to be going home though doesn't it oh. yeah she was really really little she was really little I look back at photos now and I just think oh my gosh yeah and so but she was by that stage 40 weeks and so she was term so technically she was less likely to you know have infection she could suck by that stage so I you know reluctantly ended up putting her on a bottle I was even trying to breastfeed with a supply line like with formula in a little tube that would go into my breast and use nipple shields and you know so your mouth would be so tiny though wouldn't it it was it was really really tiny yeah um and so Anyway, I persisted with the breastfeeding, by the way, until five months, which I think is pretty phenomenal. I'll look back now. I would pump and I'd get like these little sort of 20 to 30 mils, you know, a day. And 50 mils was, you know, a great day. And yeah. it was just heartbreaking. I'd go into the pumping room and I'd see these women with just all this like milk just going, psh, psh, you know, squirting out. And mine was just like, I'd be getting, I'd be excited if I'd see this tiny little droplet, you know, yeah. on the end of my um, nipple. So, yeah, so eventually she came home and um, I just remember um, feeling so terrified <laughs> of, you know, looking looking back now and, and just feeling so terrified of um, this little thing that I felt I was 100% responsible for. Um, and I just honestly... Um, felt like I had made and I just feel so um, bad saying this but I want to share this because I think it's really important in case other women have this same experience because there is a happy ending to this story um I felt like I just had made the biggest mistake in the entire world that I my life was over I thought this I can't do this I can't look after this baby and I loved her and was fiercely protective of her, but I didn't feel particularly attached in the sense that or warm and fuzzy. Mm. I really saw her as 
something that was terrifying. Like I wanted to give her back, you know, in, in, but I didn't because I loved her so much. So it was just, I was, I felt so trapped, I think, you know, like, oh my God, I've created this thing that I love so much. It's so scary, but I can't look after it because, and looking back now, I know I was just so exhausted and so stressed um, and experiencing, um, you know, anxiety and depression. Um, I remember it even got to the point at one point where I saw a post on Facebook that was about a mother's um, infant loss. Um, and I remember thinking, and I feel terrible saying this as well because I just feel like it's, you know, terrible thing to say when people have actually lost babies um that I just felt like I wish that would happen so that I didn't have to face this like at least I wouldn't have to look after my baby so I was just like horrified at myself for actually having that thought um and of course my god touch would like I just it's horrendous I definitely didn't want that um now but that was the place that I was in you know I was just you know yeah yeah and I I just thought I cannot do this like this is I don't have the capacity to do this there is something wrong with me I'm not supposed to be a mum I really had that belief that there was I was inherently flawed um and that I just made a terrible mistake. And the fact that I never really wanted a baby in the first place just proved that I thought in my mind, you know. And so that kind of survival phase, I mean, obviously I did get through it. I ended up getting, my mum came and stayed in Brisbane for all up probably about three months. And my parents aren't young. My mum was at the time, so she's 79 now um, and Lily is three. So she was in her late 70s when Lily was born um, and she came and stayed with me and I just felt like, oh, my God, do not leave me by myself. Like, <gasps> this is horrendous. Um, and, and Lily was a challenging baby too. So I had a really rough start. So Lily was um, a challenging baby in the sense that um, when she came home from the nursery, what I wasn't um aware of and I found out later was that babies who come home from special care nursery can actually really struggle with the change in environment because it's such a sudden change in environment so they went from a noisy brightly lit constantly busy environment to quiet at home which you think would be okay for a baby but um look I don't know how reliable the information is but they can really struggle with the transition and Lily would cry for three four five six hours straight like scream daily so I don't know if you've heard of like um purple crying they say it's like a development stage um and it can be quite normal but I found it highly highly distressing um and just couldn't and she's still very loud now you know when she expresses herself emotionally she was always quite loud and even in the special care nursery she was always very active all the other babies would sort of just be laying there and never see them awake and Lily would like she'd be swinging her arms and kicking around and you know there were people would make jokes that you know they'll need to close the ends of the humidity crib otherwise she was going to crawl out mm-hmm. kind of thing um so she was never a calm she was very alert so little but fierce Yes, absolutely. And 
some of the nurses would say that to me oh you see these preemie babies and they are just fighters they are just like you know once they get out into the world she said they just yeah they're amazing so yes that was incredibly difficult and mum and I would literally just walk back and forward in my unit in Brisbane singing songs to her and patting her up and down the stairs back down again and she would just cry and cry and cry and then you know I'd ring the maternal health line and they do all their checks and it's like no she doesn't have a piece of string or hair wrapped around her little toe that's causing her pain no she doesn't have purple spots and somewhere else no she doesn't have meningitis or meningococcal she's just crying and so then you know it's like she's got colic so maybe change the formula and you know it was just like oh my god it was horrendous um and so she was always not um the greatest sleeper either she required quite a bit of stimulation to keep her settled so staying at home for the whole day just chilling that wasn't something that we did you know it was she was always we were both better off if we were out and about um and the more stimulation that she she could get um the better she was and I just continued to feel terrible and like I just <laughs> it was it was like literally just trying to survive um and then um my mum said well we just got to the point where mum had to come back down here um and so I decided to um move essentially down to Victoria because I thought I just can't do this on my own um and so I packed up my life, which had been in northern New South Wales and southeast Queensland for the past, like, 25 years or something. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all my friends and everyone I knew. And my family are here in Victoria, but I actually grew up in Canberra. So I've never lived in Victoria. Um, but I just decided to um, do this really big move and straight away because I was just like... I. I just need to do this yeah. I hadn't considered you know you can see that I haven't done a lot of forward planning in this whole entire plan <laughs> so but that's okay because that's how I roll and usually always land on my feet so and I'm used to moving around a bit so anyway I moved down to um, Victoria um, when she was three months old um, my parents live around the corner and I like the adjustment was like coming to another country. It was really bizarre. I mean, I'd obviously spent time down in Victoria before and now I haven't left Victoria since October 2019. So very familiar with it now. Um, but mostly just because of the weather, really. And yeah. then also it's just a very different culture to um, the north or northern parts of Australia. And, you know, I'd had, I had family that hadn't met very many friends and everything. So it was a huge adjustment. So that on top of having the baby and you know all of that was massive and so the first two years for me were just really tough it was really just kind of getting through and hanging on to the fact that people said it gets easier it gets easier it gets easier and I just kept thinking this is it now I've done this I just you know Lily was continuing to wake up at night time and um so a lot of disturbed sleep. And now I know it's that pattern. If I don't get enough sleep for three week, three nights in a row, my mood and the way I view the world and everything just goes downhill majorly. Yeah. Um, and so now, you know, I actually know that to be a fact. And I think um, 
it was, you know, after she turned two, I think things really changed for me. Um, and the first 12, 12 months was just hell. It was completely unenjoyable. I mean, I look back now and think what a gorgeous baby. And sure, there were moments of this baby is so awesome and, you know, I loved her, but I don't remember any joy. You know, it was just literally a hard slog and surviving and trying to get through. Um, and then the second 12 months got a bit easier and I sort of saw that there was a bit of light at the end of the tunnel and I could see that, you know, it was getting um, progressively easier for me personally. And then she turned three just in January. Yeah. And, the, you know, the, the, um, I turned another corner and I just became really aware that newborns just in general ain't for me, you know, like um, just the fact that they're, and the fact that I couldn't breastfeed, I thought it was just going to be this like lovely, like us just hanging out and cuddling and breastfeeding and burping and, oh, it's going to be just, and I felt, you know, really, as I said, so attached to breastfeeding and couldn't um, let that go. Um, found it really difficult to let that go. And, um, yeah, and so now that um, she's going into her own little person, I think the, you know, the main point of this entire story <laughs> really is that I am one thousand percent confident that I've made the best decision in having Lily and to say that now is like you know it took me personally this long to actually come to that conclusion like I remember starting to think that I might have made it a good um choice <laughs> when she was about sort of two or like you know little bits of it but I just couldn't enjoy her for that first you know three years I really just felt so much um, pressure around just adjusting um, to my new life. And I think that was a big um, thing here. I was, had gotten to the point where I was 43. I was, I just, it was just before I turned 44 that I gave birth to her. Yeah. And I'd gotten through that life being incredibly independent and free. Um, and I moved around a lot and confident and capable. And this was the first time that I'd actually come across something that I needed help with. Like I couldn't do it on my own. And that was not only was I adjusting to the lack of freedom, a complete, you know, 360 um, plus the rest um, degree turn on what my life now had become in terms of its limitations but I also um, didn't have much experience with children so I had to learn that and it was like a crash course in a job that I was not competent for it was like I felt like I'd been thrown into um, you've got to go and fly this fighter jet right now without any instructions you need to work it out and if you don't people are going to die you know <laughs> it was like that and I'd always been so confident and it was like I was so out of my depth that I, that I, there were so many things out of my control that it, I had to make basically have a personality transplant in terms of how I was going to approach my life. Um, and I feel like finally now that's happened um, that I can, you know, be a bit more relaxed on certain things and have lowest expectations in certain areas and I can't work like I used to I can't think like I used to um when I was at work like 
you know, things have changed so much and that I am actually a good mum for Lily and, you know, I'm her mum and I actually can look back now and feel so proud of what I've achieved in terms of um, doing this by myself and getting through that horrendous period of my life. Like, you know, people could support me, but ultimately I had to do it myself, particularly around the mental you know, the thoughts that I was having and my belief system and and the fear, the absolute terror. I wouldn't call it fear, I'd call it terror. Um, and the guilt and shame of being terrified of being around my own child, you know, like not wanting to hang out with her. I was like, oh, my God, no, I can't spend a whole day with her, just the two of us, you know. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I think now the amount of growth, personal growth that I've had as a result of that experience I feel like, oh, man, I can take on the world. Like, if I got through that, like, I'm so, I'm a tough cookie now. You know, like, that's what it feels like. Um, come on, throw something at me that's harder than that experience because that was beyond anything I could ever imagine in terms of um, surviving through just feeling so horrendous, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, all of those things. So I saw um, a beautiful quote. I'm going to get it wrong. But it was something like nobody yeah. told me when I gave birth that I would meet like the most incredible person in the world and nobody told me that that would be me. Oh, I've never heard that one. I'll try and find mm, it. There you go. Better articulated than yeah. that. It's about you become this whole new person the moment you give birth and you don't realise how much you actually change in that process and what you're capable That's of. That's right. So, yeah. Oh, my God. And I hung on like there was no tomorrow to the person that I was and it took me three years to let go of her yeah. because, you know, it was just yeah I wanted to retain the person that I was before and then yeah now I'm finally stepping into the person that I am now and the life that I have now and I finally feel like I can actually look to the future feeling like I have a life I know that sounds so strange and I think I get worried about talking about this because I feel concerned that people might think that I'm ungrateful especially when people um are trying to conceive like over and over again and it's what they've always wanted and I just like turn up and bang get pregnant and then you know don't even kind of, don't even want it um and I think um the reason that I feel like I still want to talk about that even with that fear of, of perhaps being perceived that way um is because I don't think I'm the only one you yeah. know um and Someone said to me, when you decide to do it and choose to do it through IVF and you don't feel a 1,000% happy about it, then it feels like um, there's more of that, well, you chose to do this, you know, like more that pressure of, well, you should be happy with it because this is what you wanted. Um, So you don't sort of have a right to your feelings. And I think that's the point I'm trying to make is that your feelings are your feelings. Like as horrible as it sounds, my thoughts and my feelings, they weren't me. They weren't the person I was. I didn't actually wish that my baby would die. I just was somebody who was in a really bad way, you know, and so um, I'm really struggling at the time. And now, oh, my God, the thought of anything happening to her and my heart just feels blown open when I think about our future together or I just look at her and think, oh, my gosh, I made this baby. Um, And 
you know, I did this. And she's, you know, in terms of my belief, you know, this she's chosen to kind of come through me in a sense, um, who she is quite strongly. And, yeah, I just look forward to us growing um, together as a family. And there's going to be challenges. I, I think now I'm really starting to think about the fact that she's got a donor. She doesn't have a, um, a father. And the other day she actually said to me, I wish I had a dad. And I was like, whoa, that's the first time I've heard that, you know, and because I've started reading about different families and talking to her about it. And for me, I found that really confronting. Um, but for her, it was a throwaway comment, you know. She's only three and everyone's got a dad. Um, but I think we're going to have our challenges in terms of that. And I'm, I'm, it's going to break my heart if she says to me that, you know, she really feels like she wishes she had a dad and she may well do that. And this is her journey. This is what she, that's my belief. That's what she's chosen to come with me. And I've given her life and made that choice. And so we live with that and life's not perfect. And I honestly believe that the amount of love um, and experiences that she has um, in our family, she's got her nan and her pop as well. Um, I honestly believe that those she's not going to be lacking in love. I don't actually think she'll be lacking in anything. I think what breaks my heart is that we've got a culture that has such strong cultural messages around um, the fact that she might be missing something and I'd hate for her to feel that she's missing anything. So, yeah, but we'll work on that as we go. Anyone who's thinking about doing going through this journey, there's such an, I've met some amazing other solo mums mums and you know we've been on camping trips we've done all this great stuff and all the kids that she's making friends with they've they're all the same as her and so there is a community so it's not like she's going to be the only one that finds out at 18 that she has been donor conceived um you know it's the fact is that she's um she's going to be like oh yeah just like you know x y and z friend um and I'm hoping to keep those relationships up as well as um as she um, grows. So I guess knowing what you know now and knowing how hard you found it in the, the first wee while, is there anything that you wish you knew or that you would do differently if you were to have your time again? Sure. Um, I think I wish I just had more realistic information around what it was like to be pregnant and to have a child. And I know that that, is also very difficult because people do try to tell you it's hard but what does that actually mean I wish I had um, had more education around um, the potential you know the fact that I might not be able to breastfeed um, that I might need some there might be some complications and the need for medical intervention and that um, you know I might struggle Um, I I kind of, and I think that's difficult because I think you can only learn a lot of that through experience as well. Um, If I were to have another child now, I think it would be a totally different experience. There's so many, that amount of pressure that I put on myself and the the guilt and the things that I worried about that in the bigger scheme of things just don't really matter. Um, I probably wouldn't sweat the small stuff so much. Um, And I think... Just to, I guess, like, in terms of doing things differently, no. I don't think I'm the type of person that ever thinks I should have done anything in my life differently. I think 
the way that everything is done is the way that it's it's unfolding you know I learn from it um but I think in terms of you know um advice or just you know what I'd love to you know what I mostly reflect on is that I think it's whatever you feel um as a mum I've discovered that so much of what I experienced is incredibly normal and at the time I just thought I was the only one and was a complete you know um completely nuts and complete failure um so I'm really quite passionate about um getting real you know like um in terms of your communication like connect with other mums that also will be real about how tough it is and that their actual real thoughts and feelings and um I think that's really important and if I went back again yeah I would just really be a lot easier on myself yeah. um and yeah I think that's the main thing so hard to do with so many hormones rushing through you and all the rest of it though Oh, this is the thing, isn't it? You know, and even just have an awareness of that, be like, I'm just full of hormones. Like it's not, now I would know if I got pregnant a second time, I'd be like, oh, oh yep, that's right. I'm just, and it's like what I can do now. If I have that, you know, period of not much sleep, three nights in a row and I'm under pressure, I go, yep, I, this, I, this is only a phase. This is going to pass because I've been through this before 20,000 times, yeah. not that many, but I know that this is exactly works out, plays out the same way every single time. And as soon as I get a good night's sleep, the, you know, the grass looks incredibly greener the next morning. So, yeah, you know, once you get a decent night's sleep, isn't it? Exactly. And that, I mean, just the lack of sleep and just, I'm just in awe of what women actually um, go through. I found it was like this massive, massively um, kept secret that, the secret club that was this club of mums. And once I entered it, I was just like, well, initially I was like, I do not want to be in this club. I'm certainly not worthy of being a member. But I couldn't understand how women could possibly go through so much um, in the name of having a child. And I couldn't understand at the time because I didn't get the flip side of the benefits. But now I'm like, oh, now I know why people do this. Because it's just amazing. amazing. Yeah. Yeah exactly and there's so much joy now like um I've got it you know finally I've I'm reaching you know um a point where I can really feel joy as a mum and yeah I think that's probably different for every mum some people probably enjoy the the hate you know the toddler phase and love the newborn phase or you know really struggle with the teenage phase or and I think for me my feeling is it's just going to get better and better as she gets older and there's less pressure yeah. I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story and being so honest and real with all of our listeners today because I know that there will be many people who are, are thinking the same things or feeling the same thing. So it's really good that you can bring light to it and show it is normal and it does get better. So thank you so much for your time here. Oh, you're so welcome. And thanks for having me on, Alicia. I'm Alicia, and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, and leave a like, a review, or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.